Hello friends, how are you? Hope this finds you well. Thanks very much for choosing to join me for another episode of Soundtracking, my weekly podcast where I talk about film and music. Um, I've been talking quite a lot about the podcast this week, been doing a couple of press things and it's always quite interesting talking about the podcast and what we try and do with it. And there's never really an agenda with what we're trying to do. It's always just having a conversation with the guests that we're lucky enough to have about their journey with music and film. So um, I hope you enjoy it and I'm very grateful that you take the time to listen to it. I also wanted just to uh, draw your attention. I have been invited up to um, Bradford next Friday, the 8th of October, to take part in their widescreen festival, um, which happens every year. It's the 25th anniversary. And I am very excited that I have managed to convince none other than Mr. Michael Palin to join me in Bradford next Friday afternoon to record a soundtrack in live. It's going to be, well, I hope it's going to be a lot of fun. And um, Michael's already sent me some ideas of clips that he wants me to play. So, um, yeah, if you can join us, then head to Widescreen Festival online to get details on tickets. I think it's three o'clock our session in the afternoon on Friday. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, random fact, Michael used to be my neighbour. That's how I know him. He was a very lovely neighbour, but um, he's a very wonderful man. But if you can, please come and join us next Friday for the widescreen festival. It'd be great to have you along. Also, London Film Festival starts next week. There are loads of fantastic films, fantastic opportunities for you to get involved because after last year, obviously with the festival um, going online, they were able to connect with a lot of film fans up and down the country and they've continued that this year by um, making quite a number of uh, screenings and films accessible to people all over the country. So I know that there's quite a few cinemas involved. So if you want to check it out, then do because it's uh, bfi.org.com, I think is the, right, is the website, if you want to find out more details. Um, I'm going to be doing a few bits and bobs. And the great thing for us for soundtracking is there's normally a lot of people who come into town to promote their films, uh, sometimes around the releases, sometimes ahead of the releases. So we are bagging quite a few people um, over at London Film Festival, including the likes of Paolo Sorrentino. Um, who else are we talking to? Kenneth Branagh for his film Belfast. That looks like it's going to happen. I'm probably going to completely jinx all these by telling you who we're going to be chatting to. Um, we're also going to be speaking to uh, Mr Edgar Wright again. Um, we spoke to him obviously most recently for his brilliant Sparks documentary, but we are going to be speaking to Edgar and and Christy Wilson Cairns together. Christy's written Last Night in Soho. She also wrote 1917 with Sam Mendes. So I'm really looking forward to having them both on together to talk about Last Night in Soho, which I'm seeing next week. Right, anyway, enough of me wittering on about what's been going on and what the plans are. We have got two guests for you this week who have formed a hugely close and productive creative partnership over the course of quite a number of films, actually. David Lowry, love him so much. Very big fan of his filmmaking. And he is a returning guest for his third visit to the podcast, whilst composer Daniel Hart is making his debut, having been discussed at length on several previous occasions. David and Daniel are with me to discuss The Green Knight, David's adaptation of the 14th century poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Now, in keeping with the source material, Daniel's score draws on medieval musical idioms, but is also infused with many contemporary twists. And we'll begin with one such example. Do you believe in witchcraft?
Listen, this is so great. Uh, David, it's great to welcome you back for your yes. third sitting. Yay! Perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and Daniel, I mean, your ears have obviously been burning because we talked about you a lot in the last two episodes that David was on, but it's so great to have you both together to talk about this extraordinary new film that you've you've both made and created. It absolutely blew me away. I just thought it was, it was so great. The Green Knight, huge congratulations. What's been incredible, actually, I think, just um, almost just looking at the work that you've done together is that the the vast expanse of styles of music that you've had to create for the films that you've worked with with David is they are so different. And as a composer, not many composers get the opportunity to have that luxury of showing the breadth of of what they're able to do. You know, I think it's it's a shame sometimes that composers sometimes get, you know, they get put in boxes to be a certain type of composer. But, oh, my God, the vast array of of styles that you've created for David's films alone are wonderful. I feel really lucky to get to explore in so many different sandboxes, to get to play around with so many different kinds of toys, you know. But I feel like, David, you've, you've said once, like, I enjoy challenging Daniel, like, I look forward to like making him work for the next, whatever the next thing is. Definitely. It's always a, uh, for, for me, it's, it's not that I want to just completely thwart expectations every time out, every time I make a film, but I do like to do things that are different every time. Every time I make a movie, I want to just like, I don't want to repeat myself. I'll, I've just spent, you know, two years making one thing. I don't want to just do that again. And in my head, they're never as different as they are. But by the time we get to post-production, it usually is like sunk in, for example, that the Green Knight is not the same as Old Man the Gun, <laughs> or the Old Man the Gun is not the same as a ghost story. And, and I recognize, as I start to talk about the project with Daniel, like, you know, as we start talking about the score, the initial things, like whatever the random ideas I have, the little kernels of, of inspiration that I, that I might be able to offer him, like what a different experience is gonna be on each particular film. And I think the challenge is definitely implicit in that. the comment ground they all have though is they're they're all real exploration of character and relationship i think in in, in all the films i definitely put character and relationship first and foremost in the storytelling but they're so first and foremost they're so grounded and centered that once we start shooting the movie i sort of forget about that <laughs> it's always nice to hear that hear, hear from an outsider's perspective that yes indeed these movies do have a strong sense of character because I get really caught up in things like camera angles and pace once we start shooting. <laughs> Daniel, you were going to add something there. Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, no worries. What was, oh yeah. When I was in university, I played in this band that was um, founded by a composition professor and, and led by him. And it was called the Doubting Scholars. And, and it was this composition professor plus a bunch of students. And he treated the band like a class. I mean, we would perform we performed a lot at this coffee house right across from the university. Like once a month, we would do that. But he treated, he treated the band like a class where we learned 
blues standards and we learned jazz standards and we learned Irish reels and jigs and we learned Beach Boys songs and we learned Oingo Boingo songs and we learned Winton Marsalis. And it feels like, you know, being put through um, an education every every time you perform. And, and this feels a bit like that to me, or maybe it, it just feels like I so enjoyed being in that band because we got to explore so many different styles. And I feel like David is just further nurturing that desire of mine to, to move in different areas of music because I love so many different kinds of music. David, can we talk about the, the Green Knight and why you wanted to interpret the story and, and why you wanted to tell the story in with your vision? You know, whenever I start a project, I never know why it's appealing to me. Sometimes I do. Sometimes, you know, for example, like with Old Man and the Gun, Robert Redford brought me an article. So I knew why we were making that movie because it was something that Robert Redford brought to me. But with this project and with some of my others, like A Ghost Story or Ain't Body Saints, they really are what seem to be random whims that then reveal to me over the process of making them why they're important to me. So with this film, it began with just an arbitrary notion that I wanted to make a quest movie, an adventure movie, a movie about a knight on a horse. And over the course of making it, even now talking about it as the movie's being released, I'm learning more about why I wanted to do it and the things that mattered to me about it. And one of the things that I can say that, you know, instantly hooked me when I read the poem in university and then later on as I was rewriting the screen, as I was writing the screenplay was the idea of a knight going on a quest whose end was his own death. The idea that he is knowingly going on a journey that can only end, if he succeeds in his quest, he's going to die. And that the challenge of making a movie in which a character's death could be seen as a happy ending, hmm. uh, which is different from the poem, but that was what I saw implicit in the, in the text was an opportunity to explore that concept. That was really appealing to me. But there's so much more that was appealing to me that I'm just now kind of uncovering as, a, as, as I get to know the movie we've made. That's it. That's really interesting, though. Almost kind of your, your, the relationship with your own film is kind of growing as you talk about it and hear other people's interpretation of it as well. That's really fascinating. It's a wonderful gift to be able to learn about one's own movie from someone else. Like, I never get to experience it objectively as an audience member, but I can learn what it was that I've done through someone else's perspective when they tell me what they saw in it, what they drew from it, because everyone's, no one's wrong. You know, when you when you interpret a movie, when you have your own idea of what it means, there's no wrong way of looking at it. It just feeds into the greater narrative of what the intent was. And I learn a great deal when people are talking to me about what they've drew, what they've drawn out of the movie, what they've been, what they see in it, what they recognize about themselves within it. It all helps me understand what it is that, drew me to it in the first place. Was it easy to write? It was really, I wrote it really fast. It, you know, I, I wrote it as I was rereading the poem. So I was like rereading it and writing and just going back and forth from the, the text to the, uh, to the screenplay app on my computer. And then we made it really quickly. It was a really fast shoot. And, or not fast shoot, but like, you know, from the time, I, I guess the best way I can say it is that from the time I finished writing the script, to the time we finished shooting the movie. I mean, it was like less than a year. It all came together very, very quickly. And so we didn't have a lot of time to think about meaning or intent. <laughs> we just sort of like jumped in and followed our instincts all the way through. Uh, and then once we, once we were done and I was editing it, that's when it got really hard. And that took a really long time to put together, which Daniel can attest to. And, <laughs> and that's where I really started to understand what it was we had made. It's so rich. It's just so luxurious. You know, there's not many films where you're kind of, you're drawn to the opulence of a ceiling in a, in a scene and stuff, but there's just so much in every frame, be that just in a forest where every tree looks like, every tree um, trunk looks like it's been perfectly lit. It's just, it's so beautiful. Every scene of the film, you kind of, I can't wait to watch it again, really, to kind of, to get more from it. But Daniel, with, with you coming in with the, with the script on, or when did you come and get involved with this? Because I believe that you've got a, there's a, a real um, connection with you with the type of music that you ended up making the score for this film in terms of your, your background. Is that right? In terms of choral music? and There is, both of my parents are choral directors, church musicians, and they're in the Episcopal Church, which is the American branch of the Anglican Church. 
So a lot of the music I sang in their choirs uh, growing up and performed music in their churches growing up. And a lot of the music in the Episcopal Mass has roots in medieval English music. So it's just in my brain when, when I'm asked to, to come to find something for this period. I, it's, it's not like I took a class on, on medieval music, but it, it's like my, my whole life was a class on medieval music or not my whole life, but my, my whole adolescence and childhood was a class on medieval music. And, and so it feels very much like I was comfortable in the right place to be scoring this film. I wrote some music for some on-camera singing in the beginning of 2019. That was the first thing I did. And then I visited the set um, when they were shooting near Dublin in the spring of 2019. And I really dug in on the score in, in the fall of 2019. David, were you very clear about what what you wanted? Did you know the the kind of essence of the of, of what you felt that, that the score needed to be for this? I didn't. You know, I had a lot of different ideas, many of which were conflicting, and I wasn't sure what I wasn't sure what the right tonal approach would be. I, I had a, I had a, you know conflicting impulses to be both incredibly true to the medievalist period of the film and also. I wanted to be anachronistic. challenging aspects of the movie was finding out what that sound was, learning what sounds the movie required. And I don't often use temp score, almost never. And with this one, just to try to educate myself about what the movie needed, I tried out different pieces of temp in, in the movie. I tried laying in some random you know, pieces of score from other films that I thought might work. And, and, and the movie rejected all of them. None of them worked. And, and so it was really hard for me to communicate what I thought it needed. Um, and it really required, you know, patience on Daniel's part, because he had to just basically write music, give it to me, and then 
I had to reject it. <laughs> Although there, was, there wasn't that much rejection, but it, what it did, that's what we, the conversation had to start with what were in essence like finished sketches. And from there, we could start to dissect what worked and what didn't. It's healthy to know what you don't want. And you guys have worked together. That I guess there's a there's a relationship there and a, a, a mutual admiration and respect that you you need that honesty. You need to know when it's not right because you're you both want this this synergy to work. And my God, does it work in the film? It definitely does. I mean, it works incredibly well. But I think you know, I think I can speak for both of us in saying that you know, in our past collaborations. Daniel, I think I recently read an interview with you where you gave a percentage point of like in the ghost story, like how much of the movie, the, the first draft of the score wound up in the movie. And that's been pretty, to my, to my mind, pretty consistent across all of our films that it's not, a, it's never a struggle. It's never like, it's never, there's never that much exploration. You usually like throw a few darts to the dartboard and like the third one hits a bullseye. And then we're just off to the races from that point forward. And everything just kind of clicks in really nicely. And this one, this one was a lot harder and there was a lot of like, I moved pieces around cues that Daniel would write for one scene. I'd try somewhere else. There was a malleability uh, to the film, not to the film, to the structure of the film, but just to the tone of the film that if you tried one piece of music, I mean, this is, this works for all movies, but with this movie in particular, like taking one piece of music that was written for something and using it elsewhere, all of a sudden illuminated what would be helpful in a scene uh, further down the road. And there was a lot more of that in this film than anything else we've ever done before. A lot more of just, you know, pushing at it, prodding it. And I kept, I refused to let this movie rest in a way that I never have before. Usually I'm like pretty quick to get to a cut that I'm happy with and then it's out the door. But with this one, I really just, I just couldn't stop refining it and editing it. And part of that was requiring new pieces of music from Daniel, who uh, thankfully was, uh, you know, I don't know how many scores you were writing at the same time last fall, but it was right around this time last year that I think we were putting in the final cues after many, 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 many revisions. Why do you think that was, David, that you could kind of couldn't let it rest, that you were constantly tweaking it as, as you were going along? Why do you think that was? Part of it was out of like of deference to the source material. I think that I just didn't I didn't want to let down the original poem. I also didn't want to let myself down as a filmmaker. I, I felt like I had scratched the surface of something that I didn't completely understand in making this movie. And indeed, if you look at, you know, the discourse surrounding this poem over the past 700 years, like it's been, you know, the source of not just a few other movies, but like countless amounts of academic research and interpretation and the, the you know, exegetical sort of like you know conversations around this movie are around the the poem are almost insurmountable and and so i just was i wanted to make a movie that could participate in that and that would also live up to the expectations of you know english majors all around the world but also it had to function as a movie and 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 satisfy myself it had to satisfy me both as an audience member and as a director and it was a it was a challenging thing to do like most movies that i've made I know what I'm in for. I know what I'm getting myself into and I know how to get myself out of it. And with this one, I went in really deep and got stuck and couldn't find my way out. Um, I could use all sorts of Dantean uh, allegories and metaphors here about being lost in a dark wood. <laughs> I knew there was something really good at the heart of what we had made. And I refused to believe that I had achieved it at any point in the process. Um, I've got to apologize for my terrible descriptions of 
cues and things that I kind of scribble down as I'm writing but there were so many that just really kind of grabbed my attention even kind of from the from the off in that kind of choral opening And it really sets a tone and kind of the way it almost pulses, it, the atmosphere that it creates. It's, it's just, it really draws you into the story and you're kind of, you just want to know more and you want to be transported into the world. And I think that the human voice has that capability of personalising an experience almost in a way. And, and I wanted to ask Daniel about the kind of choices behind the human voice and being, being quite a big part of the, the, the score on this film. More than anything else I've worked on, I think, and we, and yet the the voice, you know, we all we all have our own instrument. It doesn't sound like anyone else's, really, and and so, and so each each human singing is uh, it's so special. It's it's so um, intimate and, and and vulnerable and fragile, and there's something about that that uh, draws me in too, and and that's why we ended up using it so much. I don't think it, I, I knew that there would be some choir in the film. I don't think when we started that I knew that it would be this much. I remember recording the choir at air in London. And these were, uh, it was seven women that we had four altos and three sopranos. I didn't know any of them before the recording session. They were, they were found by our brilliant contractor, Bridget Samuels. There's also Mika Levy's contractor. And, and, uh, we got in there, we, we sat down for the first choir session and, and they started singing and it, uh, as has happened several times before at AIR, it just exceeds all expectations for how wonderful, how transportive, how beautiful it could possibly be. those initial sessions at air when we started revising the score to match the revisions that David was making with, with the editing of the film, both of us kept coming back to that choral music that we had recorded. Didn't we, David? Like you, you kept finding new places to put it in. Definitely. It, it, it really, it set the tone well for the beginning of the film, but also felt like it expressed something about where the film was headed and it kept wanting, it kept wanting to, find its way back into the story. In fact, Daniel had written an entirely different piece of music for the second act of the movie, the second movement, when Gawain's waiting his whole year of waiting, you know, to go on his journey, waiting for the next Christmas to arrive. And there was a, there was a separate piece of music for that that was beautiful and worked incredibly well. But something kept just like worming its way in my head that I wanted to hear those voices from the beginning again. I wanted to have that tone, that mood, return and and have a reprise of that and so we um we put that back in after the the christmas game sequence and it just fit right in it required just a little bit of tweaking to the edit but it really uh it was the right play it was the right it was the right thing the right choice to make there
and also putting your own voice in there as well, Daniel. You know, as, as, as we hear. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, S- Scottish people doing uh, non-English words and languages is just terrible. So I, I apologise for my pronunciation, but Blomsweet Lily Fleur, is it? I, I apologise if that's not how you say it properly. But because this connection to this music is so personal, it feels so right that your voice is there too. I think that my plan was to replace myself eventually with, with someone as I, I started brainstorming people who would be a good replacement for me. But um, we never we never got around to it. <laughs> we all just kind of fell in love with Yay! it. it right. <laughs> that was um, that song. I had this idea way back in the screenplay stage that I would put this PJ Harvey song in the movie. For some reason, when I was writing the script, a song called "The Desperate Kingdom of Love" just came into my head, and I was like, "Oh, this will work perfectly here." shot the movie we shot that part of the movie with that song in mind and on a tonal level it worked beautifully but it's such a love song that it the lyrics just didn't quite work and so I asked Daniel if he would write a song that sort of had the same tonal qualities but was more applicable to the film we'd made and he sent back a track which is still in the movie I don't think we ever that's the rough draft that's it yeah that was the first thing at that unlike other parts of the score that came very quickly I I think I wrote that in a couple hours. Bloom, bloom, sweet flower. The brown bird sings his melody. Bloom, bloom, sweet flower. I go to see Saint Mary. was it writing almost kind of medieval hymns in a way as well because they're are they they're kind of part latin part german part i, I almost like a, a mythical language almost it sounds uh, there's a familiarity there in in certain words but you're not quite sure and i love that kind of ambiguity of not really knowing what the words are saying so you have your own interpretation of the lyrics i took a crash course in in uh middle english poetry when we were starting everything because I knew that I wanted or I knew that we needed for the on-camera singing for someone to be singing a lullaby and I thought middle English would be right for the time period of the poem and and so I I started looking up middle English poetry and, and I made myself a little dictionary of words that I really liked because of the spelling or the sound the thing that I didn't know having not looked at it before was the heavy Scandinavian influence on Middle English that's essentially disappeared from our language now, where we would say blood, it was blood at the time, or our child was chilled. And I, I think that really like uh, grabbed something in my mind, uh, the, those sounds. Um, and so I, I'm, I found the words that I liked the best, and I tried to use those words as much as I could in, in the lyrics that I was writing. Um, but yes, there's some Latin, there's some... Uh, Hildegard of, of Benning, she made her own language called Lingua Ignota, and I've been um, completely fascinated with it for the past few years. And so some of her Lingua Ignota made it into some of the tracks. There's a track called Egonzo Kultzfazur, and that's from her language, it means angel or ancestor.
Singer Ross had their own language as well, didn't they? For I'm sure they they created their own their own they language did. for yeah, which is just it's amazing, isn't it? I go, hey, do you know what we'll do for the next album? We're just going to create our own our own language. Like, okay, it's wild. Yeah, I can't believe that. <laughs> so okay, it it's so effective because it's I guess it's that thing where they 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 write it with a you know with with an emotion and a story they want to tell through the the music, and that is never going to have the same meaning for anyone so each person who listens to that piece of music has their own experience with it their own unique experience with what the words mean to them and I think that's such a beautiful thing and that's that's what I felt with with this was the idea that people will listen to this and they'll have their own interpretation of 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 what it means and how it fits for them with the narrative and the characters very clever very beautiful it's also a good way to get out of my own head if I had to write Lyrics in English, I think um, it would be more difficult to remove myself or my own experiences or, or emotions from from that. But when I'm writing in a a, ver- a version of English that I didn't know before, it makes me more focused on on character and and story arc and and st- score structure overall. Make sure I'm telling the right story. With regards to instrumentation as well, was there a, a want to 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 try and be loyal to the the medieval period with regards to instruments you used or was that not possible or, or how did, did that did that work because there are certain instruments that sound you know they have this but then there's, there's also this brilliant kind of contemporary element that's almost embedded within it as well it's it's very it's, you know it's, it's it's even though it's a medieval setting it's still got this really contemporary feel to it both in terms of the film but the score as well I think. There was a want for me to incorporate medieval instruments but the first conversation that David and I have on most films involves talking about instrumentation because I'll have ideas about what I think would work and David also has ideas about what he thinks would work and if I remember right David I asked you if you were concerned about anachronisms in, in the score and you were not and you said you wanted to hear fever ray synths in certain places that's absolutely true yeah we I, we we listened to fever ray a lot while we were shooting the movie as well um and and i i wanted it to tiptoe towards modernity and potentially past modernity into some sort of like future scapes that didn't quite have uh, a footing in any time or place and that went not just in terms of the music, but that was a that was a direction we went in with the cinematography, with the production design, with the costume design. You know, none of it is completely rooted in historical accuracy in any shape, way, or form. And and indeed, you know, when you look at the details, the ceilings you were mentioning earlier, uh, some of them are, you know, from a different period than earlier castles in the movie. We we jump all around, and and we we do have aspects of it that almost approximate science fiction. And I wanted the, the sound of the movie to reflect that. I wanted the sound of the film to, to use one of my favorite phrases from Kurt Vonnegut. I wanted it to be unstuck in time.
And so, but that's that in and of itself is a really fine line because one of the very first pieces Daniel wrote, I think, had a lot more of a an '80s synth, a John Carpenter style uh, synth piece. It was like one of the very very early explorations you did, and we put that to picture. I think we were still shooting at that point. We tried that out, and it instantly just was too far. It just you know it was very clear that we pushed it too far or that Daniel had pushed it too far. <laughs> and I had, I had been egging him on the entire way. And uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, look what we brought. Um, you got a big sword out and said, it's too far, Daniel, it's too far. <laughs> but I'm always going to be the person asking him to go that far. I will always mm-hmm. be like, can we make this more extreme? Can we try making something crazier? And you, in doing that, you just find out where the ideas break, mm-hmm. where the movie breaks. But the ideas that will build the movie into what it needs to be, you know, how far can we push any one aspect of it? And I love testing those barriers every chance I can. Daniel, were you privy to performances? And I was really interested to, to ask if performance of, of any of the cast in terms of inspired what you wrote. I mean, the casting is just extraordinary. It's so brilliant from, you know, from Dev, who's just, I mean, he's, he's brilliant, but all those kind of Barry Keown and, the wonderful Kate Dickey, who I adore, um, yeah. you know, all these just brilliant, you know, Sean Harris. I mean, all of them, they're just, it's just the, they're each, they're all so important to the moments that they're on screen and they make their presence felt wonderfully. And I wondered if performances were an inspiration to, to where you went with the, the score in terms of writing. Always, always. It's the most important thing to me. My, de- my university degree is in playwriting. I, I didn't do music in school. So, so it's always um, at the forefront of my mind, the, the character development, the story arc, and, and how people are inhabiting these, these strangers from a, from a medieval land. I, I, in particular, was taken, uh, there's this, where, where Garwin first meets uh, Barry Cohen's character when he's on his horse and he's across this, barren war field field of war and barry's character sees him on his horse and and he says who are you (laughs) and i just thought i just thought what does it say on the page on the script it says who are you probably i thought of all the choices that someone could make i would never in in a thousand years Think to do that for myself and I was so captivated by this choice that he made I was like oh my god I know so much so much about this character from these three <laughs> yeah it's uh it's like ammunition for me <laughs> tells me everything I need to know David was it fun cast in this film because you know I mean, I mean I've only mentioned a few and Sarita and Alicia and Joel I mean the, the whole cast is just is is, is brilliant it was it an easy film to cast in some ways it was, but I also, I, I think I, like, I had the luxury of having, like, you know, a lot of actors reading the part, for, uh, read, reading the script, and the opportunity to meet with a lot of people. And so I just saw so many different versions of the movie laying out in front of me when I had the, you know, opportunity to meet with these, with these, with these wonderful thespians. And, and so I was sort of, like, paralyzed by <laughs> In, with indecision and multiple steps along the way. Um, but for example, like usually all it takes is sitting down with an actor. Uh, and so I had had a Zoom call with Dev in which I greatly appreciated our conversation. But as soon as I sat down with him, I knew that that was the version of the movie that I wanted to see. And it pretty much worked the same way with every, uh, with every other actor. Um, Alicia was the one ex- exception to that because she read a, a really early draft of the script before anyone else had. And, and she was the very first person involved. And so I wound up, as I was rewriting the script and writing new, new drafts of it, I was writing it for her. Her monologue about the color green was, was written because I wanted to talk more about the color green in the movie, but also because I wanted to hear her say those words. And I, I wanted to write something equivocal to the whiteness of the whale chapter in Moby Dick about the color green for Alicia Vikander to say. It's so beautifully kind of, you know, they're, they're each, each kind of, it's, it's like the perfect jigsaw, isn't it? The kind of every piece has got to fit kind of so well to see the full thing. And I just think you've done an, a, a beautiful job on that side of things as well. We're, we're running out of time, but I can't let you go without um, 
saying thank you as well because uh, knowing I was getting to come and chat to you both allowed me the luxury of of um uh sitting and listening back to the the score for old man of gun. I've got my poster on the wall actually just over there for old man of the gun I'm going to grab it quickly to show you um and uh hold on uh, grab off the wall uh, all framed oh, <laughs> oh yeah uh, um and listening to that score was so great and and just there is one, the one, uh, the diner track is one of my favourites in that film. I just love that piece of music. It's so, so beautiful. And then, David, I just waxed lyrical when we spoke the first time about um, a ghost story and, and and that whole score. So, Daniel, it gives me an opportunity to say thank you and congratulations on those two wonderful collections of, of storytelling, really, because that's what they really are, I think. Thank you for saying that. It's very generous. Yeah. next i'm excited what's next do you know I, I, daniel i imagine you and i are both sitting at two different computers on two sides of the country <laughs> working on exactly the same thing right now which yeah. you can't tell me about probably <laughs> no it's it's we we are making peter pan and wendy for disney <gasps> and we finished shooting it uh, a couple weeks ago and we are deep into the first cut and daniel's deep into the score and oh my god yeah listeners can't tell but like our faces are probably like my face is illuminated by the edit right now that's what's, <laughs> that's what's lighting me <laughs> my jaw i'm just lifting up off the floor it's kind of like <laughs> oh wow oh that's exciting that's so exciting oh wow um um well i hope we get to chat about that when when we uh when it gets released will that be i guess that'll be next year yeah it'll be um we don't have a release date but sometime yeah. next year and it will definitely be an opportunity for us to, to chat again and, awesome. and hopefully this time in person again yeah maybe if you guys are coming across the air you can let me know and we can we can do we can we can have a cup of tea at air that would be amazing oh yeah i love that that would be so cool and listen thank you so much for your time and huge congratulations on on the green night it's an extraordinary film and um and i just want as many people as possible to 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 go and see it and just get the experience that I had with it. And I'm I'm really looking forward to watching it again as well to to take in more from it as well. It's lovely chatting to you both. Thank you, Edith. Same thanks Edith. Take care and stay safe. Thank you. From the score to a green night, that's Are You Real or Are You a Spirit? Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with composer Daniel Hart and writer-director David Lowry. My huge thanks to both David and Daniel for taking the time to talk to me. The Green Knight is in cinemas now and I would highly recommend that you try and see it on a big screen because it is an absolute feast for your senses. Uh, and you can find plenty of David and Daniel's previous collaborations on home entertainment format. If you haven't seen A Ghost Story yet, I highly recommend that you watch that film and then also listen to the score and the soundtrack for it. I had it and still listen to it regularly. I get overwhelmed. And then The Old Man and the Gun 
What a film. So, so, so great. Now, you can head to edithbowman.com to find my two previous tracks with David where we talk about Daniel's music at length. My website is also the place to subscribe and find links to Spotify playlists for every single show. All those pieces of music that you hear little excerpts for throughout each episode, we make a playlist so you can hear them in their entirety for every show. So please head over to Spotify and follow our playlist and make sure you listen to the music. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do subscribe on our YouTube channel too for Soundtracking Extra. Join me next week for another conversation around film and music. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm-hmm.